Embrace your crookedness. I don't know why exactly we gravitate to certain writers or thinkers, not just as convenient citations we drop here and there, maybe to add a bit of heft to our own flimsy pronouncements, or to have the sheen of their prose shine on our lackluster sentences. But as people, people we want to have in our heads and maybe even our hearts as we think through the business of making our way in the world. I mean, of course I can think of some reasons for this. You are attracted to their ideas. You are convinced by their arguments. Their mode of thought resonates with yours. They mirror back to you in a more respectable and elegant way your view of things, etc. But in truth, I think it's something a bit more than all of that, with reasons as varied as those that account, or fail to account, for all of our other friendships. And I hope that, at best, it is not only a matter of these voices ratifying our own thinking, but also a matter of their challenging and questioning it. In other words, I like to think that these voices we invite to the table we set in our minds sometimes snap back at us, dissolve our pretensions, and otherwise put us in our place. Whatever the case, the poet W.H. Auden is, for me, one of these people. He sits next to Hannah Arendt. I hear him enjoining me from time to time. You shall love your crooked neighbor with your crooked heart. It's good to be reminded of this, mostly because while we are all tempted to nod along with a bit about our crooked neighbor, whether we feel any obligation to love them or not, we're less prepared to assent to the crookedness of our own heart, the very one with which we are to do the aforementioned loving. Again, it's good to be reminded of this and better still to take it to heart because Assured of the purity of our own motives, we might very well destroy our neighbor in our unchastened efforts to do good by them. All of this is true and good to consider, but it's not exactly the path along which my thinking has been more recently prodded by this particular line from Auden. Instead, I've thought about the other way we might take the word crooked. I initially took it in the sense that we intend when we talk about crooked politicians, which is to say corrupt, malfeasant, no good. I suppose it is from crooked that we get crook, as in Nixon declaring crookedly that he is not a crook, but crooked also means simply bent or not straight, as in the shepherd's crook or hook, which is a staff with a curved end. And the two senses are related, the bend or lack of straightness of the crook suggesting a departure from the straight path as a metaphor for a morally upright life. Consider Kant's famous claim that out of the crooked timber of humanity, no straight thing was ever made. In the immediate context, the idea is that human beings are unjust by nature, i.e. morally crooked, and will abuse power for their own good if entrusted with it, which is not necessarily a principle I'm inclined to bet against. But, what most strikes me about Kant's observation is the note of mild exasperation or annoyance that I hear when reading it as part of Kant's call for a project to discern the laws governing human behavior at scale, a, quote, philosophical attempt to work out a universal history according to a natural plan directed to achieving the civic union of the human race, end quote. The short essay in which the Crooked Timber line appears is titled, idea of a universal history with a cosmopolitical purpose. It opens with the claim that, quote, whatever concept one may hold from a metaphysical point of view concerning the freedom of the will, certainly its appearance, 
which are human actions, like every other natural event, are determined by universal laws. Close quote. Later in the opening paragraph, Kant avers that whatever role human freedom plays with regard to marriages, births, and death, the, quote, annual tables of them in the major countries prove that they occur according to laws stable as those of the unstable weather, close quote. I now hear in Kant's line about the crooked timber of humanity, not a sage, even wryly appreciative regard for humanity's inescapable flaws and foibles as one might find in Chaucer or Montaigne but an anticipation of the technocrats' annoyance with the recalcitrant human element which eludes their total mastery. If only we had sufficient data, we could aim deliberately at the realization of the grand designs of nature for the human race by bringing greater swaths of human activity under predictive administration. As I read him, and maybe I'm not reading him well, Kant is here giving incipient expression to the same dream Eliot would warn us about nearly a century and a half later, the dream of systems so perfect that no one will need to be good. I hear in Kant an adumbration of the spirit that animated the Google engineer's reply in this anecdote Matthew Crawford recently relayed in his own newsletter. In 2009, one of Google's self-driving cars came to an intersection with a four-way stop. It came to a halt and waited for other cars to do the same before proceeding through. Apparently, that is the rule it was taught. But of course, that is not what people do. So the robot car got completely paralyzed, blocked the intersection, and had to be rebooted. Tellingly, the Google engineer in charge of the autonomous vehicle program said some years later that what he was learning from the experience was that human beings need to be, quote, less idiotic. For his part, Kant's younger contemporary Jeremy Bentham already dreams of the day when we would live our lives in full public view and it would be possible to collect all the data we would need to administer the world for human happiness. Quote, it were to be wished that every man's name were written upon his forehead as well as engraved upon his door. It were to be wished that no such thing as secrecy existed and that every man's house were made of glass. Why? Well, because then a, quote, whole kingdom, the great globe itself, will become a gymnasium in which every man exercises himself before the eyes of every other man, every gesture, every turn of limb or feature in those whose motions have a visible influence on the general happiness will be noticed and marked down, end quote. In fact, we could even dare to hope, as Bentham puts it, that there will be no more moral enigmas by and by. In his partial defense, Bentham appears to be arguing that if we could thus tabulate all outward actions, then, quote, there would be the less reason to desire windows to his breast. But, as we now know, this was wishful thinking, reflecting a failure of know-how rather than any kind of firm principle. So Auden's voice chimes in again, this time with the unknown citizen, the last lines of which report about the unknown citizen, both producers, research, and high-grade living declare he was fully sensible to the advantages of the installment plan and had everything necessary to the modern man, a phonograph, a radio, a car, a frigid air. Our researchers into public opinion are content that he held the proper opinions for the time of year. When there was peace, he was for peace. When there was war, he went. He was married and added five children to the population. 
which our eugenist says was the right number for a parent of his generation, and our teachers report that he never interfered with their education. Was he free? Was he happy? The question is absurd. Had anything been wrong, we should certainly have heard. Or, more forcefully, Lewis Mumford's, who already in the early 1960s understood the uses to which the power of computing could and would be put. Somewhat dramatically, he wrote that it would be like the reinstatement of the eye of the sun god bearing down on us. In the end, no action, no conversation, and possibly in time no dream or thought would escape the wakeful and relentless eye of this deity. Every manifestation of life would be processed into the computer and brought under its all-pervading system of control. This would mean not just the invasion of privacy, but the total destruction of autonomy. Indeed, the dissolution of the human soul. I myself am partial to the eye of Sauron, but I don't take Mumford to be the sort who was reading Tolkien in the 1960s. While writing this, I remembered that I had once before written about Kant's Crooked Timber. It turns out it was a little over 10 years ago and resulted in my proposing a corollary. If out of the crooked timber of humanity, no straight thing was ever made, then if a thing is made straight, it will be because humanity has been stripped out of it. In that post, I also cited Evgeny Morozov's critical assessment of the then current fancy for all things smart. The problem with many smart technologies is that their designers, in the quest to root out the imperfections of the human condition, seldom stop to ask how much frustration, failure, and regret is required for happiness and achievement to retain any meaning. It's great when the things around us run smoothly, but it's even better when they don't do so by default. That, after all, is how we gain the space to make decisions, many of them undoubtedly wrong-headed, and through trial and error, to mature into responsible adults, tolerant of compromise and complexity. From a certain vantage point then, crookedness begins to feel a bit like the thing in us that keeps us from being wholly predictable and subject to administration. All that is not regular, uniform, unsurprising, interchangeable. That which requires actual attention to the particularities and peculiarities of our being. That which is inefficient, time-consuming, unquantifiable. What resists commodification? What muddies the logic of a cost-benefit analysis? What is done at whim, for no reason, and maybe even for bad reasons? It thus includes the mistakes we must make to learn and grow and mature. If the crookedness of timber reflects the history of the particular tree from which the wood was honed, the rainfall on given years, say, or the soil quality or the wind or sunlight it receives, I'm not a woodworker, nor do I chop down trees, so, you know, take this for what it's worth, then we can imagine that our crookedness likewise reflects our history, the communities we've belonged to, the friends we've made and lost, the chance happenings, heartbreaks, losses and triumphs, the stories we've internalized about the world and about ourselves. All that has pulled and tugged on us, worn us down, nurtured us, broken us and lifted us up. That is our crookedness, the crookedness we must learn to love within ourselves and in one another. Wendell Berry, who at the table in my mind sits next to Illich, gets the final word. Love the quick profit, the annual raise, vacation with pay, want more of everything ready-made. Be afraid to know your neighbor and to die. 
and you will have a window in your head. Not even your future will be a mystery anymore. Your mind will be punched in a card and shut away in a little drawer. When they want you to buy something, they will call you. When they want you to die for profit, they will let you know. As soon as the generals and the politicos can predict the motions of your mind, lose it. Leave it as a sign to mark the false trail, the way you didn't go. Be like the fox who makes more tracks than necessary, some in the wrong direction. As they say, read the whole thing. There's a link in the newsletter. This was Embrace Your Crookedness, an essay by L.M. Sacasas at the Convivial Society on Substack. Out of Austin, Texas, you're listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Here's your host, Sheila Dean. Hi, and welcome to this edition of the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. It is a super hot, triple-digit, sunny day here from under the heat dome in Austin, Texas. Um, and the heat is on. The heat is definitely on. So what didn't get covered this week amongst all the chatter of... Which is the Kids Online Safety Act around chat GPT and this and that was the fact that that the Department of Defense was lining up their budgets to fund AI development. So a couple of things that slipped through the cracks that were subtle, but if you were paying attention, like I'm supposed to be doing, I actually caught it. Um, there's a, a, an important documentary on Netflix, Unknown series, called Killer Robots. And I think that there is a concerted attempt to bring collegiate and societal attention, human attention, public attention to the matter of the destructive uses of AI. Uh, and that, that it is an existential problem. But I think it's currently an existential problem in that we're using it for bad things already. And I'm finally hearing back from the industry, which up until this point had been pretty callous and I wouldn't say totally unresponsive, but they kind of endured the remarks uh, because they were getting their research and their grants together and they were trying to seek funding to develop a thing and they were like Oppenheimer. They're like, I just want to test my theory to see if anything I am making as a maker in theoretical physics or computational science will become a thing. I want to create this because I want to make sure I can do it. Um, and then, of course, the first person who shows up is the war wallet. The man from the Department of Defense who says, I need a weapon. I need a weapon of dominance and utter superiority over all enemies so that we can be unopposed on the warscape. And I want you to know that the argument and the logic between people who make the, the thing that kills a person and the people who want it made never changes. 
It's always a supremacy race to beat the other guy. It will never change. The logic never changes. It's all about dominance and superiority and power. Unfortunately, what we have in our society is there's several vectors that have played out. And one has been a psychological operation strategy that has been applied to social media over the period of over a decade, almost two decades now. And in this, we have got, we now have collateral damage numbers in our young people. So it's indirectly and circuitously applied to adware likes and the containment structure of funneling our attention on human, but nobody's really kind of pointing it directly at any one source other than the business model itself. So, you know, if we're calling it adware, okay, but it's really the monetization of broad-based transactional surveillance of everything that is done online. Everything that is done online generates data. And then some guy figured out how to make that into a monetizable effect by watching it and then selling that information to advertisers who want to get their stuff in front of you. But the micro detail and the intelligence driven by the ad spidering is down to the pixel to see if your eyeball is actually on the content written on the page. And I would say nobody wants to live in that society, but unfortunately that is the society we live in. And one of the reasons why I boosted this broadcast with Sakasis is because he's kind of like a soothing balm in a way for the mind because these conversations around the weaponization of AI over the kill potential of AI has a tendency to, to really scare people. Let's not, let's not sugarcoat this. I, I, it scares people. It scares people that we have a, a broad-based, non-human mechanization that would kill people. It's warlike in its nature. And while we don't feel like we're in any type of war, we are not, we're being humiliated silently by being denied the fact that there is kind of a cold civil war going on between um, certain civil opponents of the current government, the legitimate government in our government and the government that they want to propose over us. And that is not a legitimate, you know, approved of government by the American people. It is just a one being proposed over us by administrative fiat and interpersonal will of people in the government, namely the executive agencies and a handful of people who think they know better than democracy. Actual democracy requires a vote, a debate, and haggling amongst people you disagree with. These people think they are above that, 
and that the communitarian affair that they are having with Chinese hierarchy and uh, global government and and general leftist communist Marxist effects uh, are, are too good for the debate with the common people and with the representation thereof in our legitimate government. That's unfortunate, and they are wrong, um, but that's still happening. So there's many things that we don't want to be happening that are contiguously happening, and then there's money being thrown at the things that are happening. And one of those things that have been happening or did happen this week was that there was a NDAA, which is the, the, the big war and defense bill, and the explainer came through Politico of how... Um, that's opening up, you know, they're opening up. They're like, you got us, you got us. The war bill is going to pay for AI development and all types of AI development. And of course, the way that these things are written is like, oh, well, AI cannot possibly develop unless we have government. And anytime government becomes more important because of public money, well, that is a public good. Not necessarily so. Now, when the NDAA puts a blank check in the grant space for weapons development, but arbitrary development of all AI, you know, we're kind of staring at the gelatinous, unaccountable, gloppy goo that has become the internet we know today. And in this internet we know today, there is uh, the case study slice out of Facebook. Facebook got a lot of negative attention last week because it was proven. Proven that they, in addition to Twitter being a target for open face censorship and the people at the leadership helm kind of, you know, just saying, you know, write us a check. Tell us what to do. Government will do it uh, over the people who had contracts with the company to do otherwise. Meaning you come in the door and I've said this before, you come in the door thinking, okay, I'm going to engage in a social media platform so that I can make, I may connect with another person in order to generate community, get resources, have open face discussions about issues and current events you know, whatever people use social media to do to be social in an online environment, when in fact it is a tool for surveilling your intentions, monitoring your actions upon online, uh, and, and being a, a contained target space for elections officials and people trying to control elections and the intelligence agencies. Now, nobody really wants it to be spoken of in such a direct way, but that's what you have me for. I do those things um, so that it will be plain. But Jim Jordan, who is a weaponization committee chair, uh, made sure to produce articles and artifacts in his casework before the U.S. Congress and use that as a Facebook files and the fallout, which, you know, I will, I will get to, uh, is unpleasant, but it's, it's 
no more non-confirming as other things that have been said in the past. For some reason, the things that were said about the Twitter files were just kind of wiped off the table by the opposition as if they didn't exist because they didn't want them to exist. And the Facebook files seem to be more plausible because they can't deny they exist because there seems to be a, a stronger marriage between the deep state government and Facebook. So there is more of a track record. So we're not looking at Facebook more like an opponent these days as they are kind of a vassal of the government deep state complex. They are us in terms of our government. Um, but they're not really in a position to, to rule over us. They just kind of, they just act as a government contractor for the intelligence state. They're one of the worst and well known for it, but here we are in another election cycle. We had Cambridge Analytica in 2016. And I, I don't really think we've absorbed the, the lessons for, uh, how we appropriate psychological operations technology at the public, which again, now we have a young person body count that went to Congress and that was what the kids online, uh, safety act was really about COSA and to, to great report, uh, Senator Schatz withdrew his amendment to make age verification, um, a barrier slash lip to, to admitting online. Uh, and I think that was a very judicious thing. He still has another bill for the Senate on that. Uh, but he tried to insert that into, uh, the larger kids online safety act, uh, to, to produce a more on safer online environment. The architecture was built so that, that it, you could be micro inspected and that's tailor made for the intelligence services. But unfortunately it's also become, you know, a social weapon that's been manipulated. And, and now we have kids that are hanging themselves because they didn't get enough likes. They're not getting enough validation in this, uh, silent and isolated place, cold online place, which is, which is the internet. So I've been talking for about 26 minutes here. Um, let me cut to some news. Okay. We have the business and politics review, July 28th from Vivek Saxena, Jim Jordan, new smoking gun docs prove Biden white house course eager to please Facebook into widespread censorship. House Judiciary Committee Chair Jim Jordan on Thursday shared smoking gun documents that he alleged prove that Facebook had previously censored content at the behest of the Biden White House. He shared the documents in a thread he called the Facebook files in honor of the Twitter files that were released earlier this year. Never before released internal documents subpoenaed by the Judiciary Committee prove that Facebook and Instagram censored posts and changed their content moderation policies because of unconstitutional pressure from the Biden White House, 
He wrote in the thread, during the first half of 2021, social media companies like Facebook faced tremendous pressure from the Biden White House, both publicly and privately, to crack down on alleged misinformation, he continued. In April of 2021, for example, an, a Facebook employee sent an email to Facebook boss Mark Zuckerberg and then-COO Sheryl Sandberg warning them that they were facing continued pressure from external stakeholders, including the White House, and the press to remove the content that dissented from the establishment's COVID orthodoxy. In another April 2021 email, Facebook president for Noble Global Affairs, Nick Clegg, wrote that the senior advisor to President Joe Biden was outraged that the social media network didn't remove a simple old COVID meme. Quote, that's right, even memes weren't spared from the Biden White House censorship efforts. And this is Representative Jim Jordan on July 27th. In Clegg's email, he further revealed that he'd pushed back on the senior advisor by noting that removing the content would represent a significant incursion into the traditional boundaries of free expression in the U.S. But the advisor didn't care. Hmm. So Facebook responded by panicking. In another 2021 email, Brian Rice, Facebook's VP of Public Policy, raised a concern that the advisor's challenge felt very much like a crossroads for us with Biden White House in these early days, Jordan explained. According to the GOP congressman, however, this sentiment was trumped by Facebook's desire to repair its relationship with the White House to avoid adverse action. So, worried about falling out of favor with your contractor. So continuing his thread, Jordan then drew attention to the, to the time that the Biden White House demanded to know why Facebook had not censored a video from then Fox News host Tucker Carlson. To appease the Biden White House, talking points were drafted for Clegg. Facebook was ready to tell the White House that it had demoted a video posted by Tucker Carlson by 50% in response to the White House's demands, even though the post didn't violate any policies, Jordan noted. Meanwhile, President Biden publicly denounced Facebook, claiming it was killing people by not censoring content the administration wanted censored. And I do remember that. In response, Facebook bent the knee and announced August 2nd of 2021, nearly two years ago, uh, that it would be changing its policies because of the Biden White House. That's unfortunate. Here's August 2. Here's a note from August 2, 2021. Facebook's leadership asked Misinfo policy to brainstorm some additional policy levers we can pull to be more aggressive against dot 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 misinformation. This is stemming from the continued criticism of our approach from the Biden administration. Representative Jim Jordan. Okay, according to Jordan, Facebook also censored content to appease Biden's Surgeon General, but it wasn't just the White House. Facebook also changed its policies in direct response from pressure from Biden's Surgeon General censoring members of the disinformation dozen. Let's have a look at that picture. And there is a big photo on Twitter, which is now X, of these documents. So this, and in addition to other supporting reporting from Substack, uh, supplemental from Matt Taibbi's racket, um, which had some great pullouts to kind of highlight this ongoing thread that this is true, ain't no nothing burger here. Uh, 
this is all beef, really, really true. Um, anti-constitutional stuff, anti-democratic stuff. So, um, I will, I will get that for you in the sources. As much as I want to dwell on this, um, I, I, I don't need to belabor the point that there, a true thing happened and the weaponization committee's got it now. So perhaps there will be some changes, uh, because you can't just do that. <laughs> uh, undue pressure from the federal government to do illegal things aimed at the U.S. public is in fact malfeasance. And so we, we have to embrace the fact that it happened uh, and, and change it quick um, because this isn't, this isn't the straight line that we should be. We're going to go right into the sewer tunnel <laughs> if we allow this to happen. Our liberties and our way of life will go there. We have to pull back or train in another way. Otherwise, we lose what we have. And what we have is really precious. I want to make that statement loud and clear. Freedom is really precious. The freedom of expression is really precious. The ability to, to bring this to you is not just a technological advancement, but a principle. It's based on a principle. The allowance and, and the principled fortitude of being able to say a thing in a free way whether there are consequences from people who disagree with me, that's, that's, a, that's a risk I take when I open my mic. I know that there will be people who won't like what I say, but it doesn't make it untrue. The falsehood that is prevailing in our, in our governing society is that if you say a thing that they do not like, whether it is true or untrue, it is labeled a lie or some epithet of, uh, of racism, misogyny, anti-Semitism. They just slap a, a sticker on you to invalidate the speech as crime, as social crime, as hate crime. So that is intellectually dishonest and it's wrong-minded in every way. Uh, it's because they don't want you to say things that they don't like. Yet they get to say things that I don't like every day. I don't stop them from saying these things because I don't. I have no intention of getting their speech uh, obstructed. But they intend to obstruct my speech because they feel they have some utterance of superiority, and that's just untrue. We all have. We all have lateral speaking venue here whether my voice is amplified or not uh, I have a freedom that puts me in a place where they can't equivocate their their viewpoint and annul my view, viewpoint by causing me to not speak that's not how it works but there this mindset won't go away uh, it's it's a it's a terminal mental flaw that stays with us in humanity. If I can stop you from talking, I have, I have won. I have dominated this conversation and I have won if I can stop you from talking. And that's, that's dishonest. It doesn't 
take away the disagreement. It doesn't take away the rationale or the reasoning um, that would go against it. There is another, uh, I think a little bit contra-subversive way of thinking where people don't tell you why they disagree with you, but they act in a passive-aggressive way anyway. They mislead you into thinking that you're on the same page with them when in fact they are against you but they're they're coming up close and they don't tell you that they are opposed to what you are doing and that is almost as dangerous if not more dangerous than someone who wants to say close your mic because they openly disagree with you the person who rides up close to you to sabotage you um, because they're being dishonest and equally intellectually dishonest by not telling you what they think is is another wrong. That's a tougher one to get at and that's that's also part and parcel of what's going on with China. Now China thinks that they can just steal from us and that's okay because they feel entitled to to run the Western world because that's their aim. Like they have a goal there. <laughs> so I, I wanna I wanna pivot to this news item. Um, so the U.S. hunts Chinese malware that could disrupt the American military operations. This is one headline this week, um, among many. Uh, there was also the BGI genome that was busted for laundering. Uh, genomic intelligence through the UK, through at least six different uh, UK uh, medical outfits that, that were also doing business here in America. So the aim and the intention was to collect um, genomic data on Westerners in a clandestine way and bring that BGI intelligence, genomic intelligence, back to... Um, back to, to China. So they can do more, what, bioweapons uh, targeting? So they can, I don't know, it's, it's very tricky. You know, their aims are not necessarily transparent to us and I, I don't think they'd be honest with us about what they're doing because they're not honest with us about what they're doing. But you know, here's just, you know, I'm just gonna give you a few Short examples, U.S. hunts Chinese malware that could disrupt American military operations. American intelligence officials believe that malware could give China the power to disrupt or slow American deployments or resupply operations, including a Chinese move against Taiwan. Uh, two graphs here. The Biden administration is hunting for malicious computer code it believes China has hidden deep inside the networks controlling power grids, communication systems, and water supplies that feed military bases in the United States and around the world, according to American military intelligence and national security officials. Now that's an actual threat. Discovery of the malware has raised fears that the Chinese hackers, probably working for the PLA or the People's Liberation Army, have inserted code injections designed to disrupt U.S. military operations in the event of a conflict. So it's an, another APT attack. Like, they're riding up close, don't want you to know they're there, but just in case, huh? 
including if Beijing moves against Taiwan in the in the coming years. So they just they just want to have it parked there just in case. So let's let's go over here. There was also Janet Yellen. So she was yelling at Chinese officials, US national security will not be compromised. I'm like, okay, I hope they listen to you, Janet. I hope they listen to Janet. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said that she told Chinese officials, she told those Chinese officials during her four day trip to Beijing, the US will not allow its national security to be compromised. In an interview with CBS on July 9, Ms. Yellen, Ms. Ms. Yellen, an objective of my trip was to explain that national security is something that we cannot compromise about and we will protect and we will do so even if it harms our own narrow economic interests. Well, that is news. She wrapped up her trip on July 9th after holding talks with several senior Chinese Communist Party officials, including Premier Li Qing, Vice Premier He Lifeng, or maybe it's the five, I know. Li Feng, Central Bank Governor Yi Gang, Party Secretary Pan Sheng, and former Chinese Vice Premier Liu He. So my Chinese is so bad, you're gonna forgive me. You're gonna forgive me, you know why? Because I don't speak Chinese. However, Ms. Yellen didn't meet with Chinese leader Xi Jinping, who met with Secretary of State Anthony Blinken at last month during his trip to China. Like Mr. Blinken's trip to China, Mr. Ms. Yellen's trip did not result in any major breakthrough between the two countries. President Joe Biden and I do not see the relationship between the U.S. and China through the frame of great power conflict, Ms. Yellen said in a morning news conference in Beijing, July 9. We believe that the world is big enough for both of our countries to thrive. Some Republicans have long criticized the Biden administration for not being tough on China and have described the communist regime as an existential threat to the United States. I wonder why? Xi Jinping has made his intentions clear. He wants China to replace America as the world's superpower. Senator Marsha Blackburn wrote in a Twitter post on July 8. Communist China is not our friend and Biden needs to stop acting like they are. The Office of Director of National Intelligence in a report published in February warned that China is using programs and initiatives, including the Belt and Road Initiative and the Global Security Initiative to promote a China-led alternative to the global international order, one that favors state sovereignty and political stability over individual rights. All this is happening the week that BRICS officials are meeting together or did so meet together um, about the BRICS currency exchange. And so I am waiting for news to, to trickle down from that. The, the BRICS exchanges are, are not very detailed. Like I cannot get very detailed news about, I can get a few things about who was there. Like Bolivia is seeking to enter the BRICS exchange. Okay. Um, Latin American countries want an alternative to the dollar because they, they typically have felt over, over the many, many decades that they're they're really shortchanged in the in the U.S. and Latin American exchange, and I wish so very sincerely that would change. You know, the enmity of people just south to us in the Latin Americas bothers me greatly, 
and we could clean it up. We don't because um, this Monroe Doctrine has has a lack of fairness to it. And um, there is, it is coming back to haunt us in our border policy and the way that, uh, that drug cartels have manifested as um, both a composite of war and gangster criminality, like narco tyranny, um, similar to what I would say even, who's that guy over there in the Ukraine? Mr. Zelensky. There's not really a difference to me in the way that things are run necessarily. One guy's running a, a war with an autocratic hand and he's being completely brutal with his own people and he's insisting on unleeching us of all of our weapons. Um, Mexico is more independent than that. They're not necessarily leeching resources, but they're better at trade than I would say Ukraine is at this point. Ukraine isn't as viable for trade because they're in the middle of a hot war. They can't grow anything in a hot war and they can't trade because it's not safe. Uh, but Mexico at least has a patina of functional safety for trade. Like they'll let things happen for trade only. Uh, but otherwise it's super dangerous because there's a lot of death and a lot of crime in Mexico. Anyone can die. Anyone can become a target for criminal enterprise at any moment. You are in such trouble. Journalists die every stinking month. So, uh, again, I'm going to refer to In the Mouth of the Wolf, written by an AP journalist, Catherine Corcoran. Always relevant. Good read. Um, <clears throat> so, I, I think I'm, I'm kind of done with this one. I'm, I'm going to move on. Okay, and as I move on, I'm just going to move here to, to the Epoch Times. Pretty, pretty solid resource on, on China and, and our interests. So some of the headlines are, TikTok is built like an indoctrination machine. No kidding. GOP Senator sounds alarm on apps impact on American uh, children, I think. And says, Senator Jim Reich, a rep Republican from Idaho, sorry, has asked of FTC to explain what it's doing to prevent the app's impact on American youth. Jim Rich has asked the FTC to explain what it is doing to prevent adolescent TikTok users from being exposed to the CCP propaganda and app's problematic data procedures. In a July 31 le letter to FTC, Lena Khan, Rich ranking Republican on the Senate Foreign Affairs Committee labeled the Beijing-backed social network the perfect storm for concern with respect to its impact on American youth. Given its connection to Chinese Communist Party and the way it collects and controls sensitive personal information, TikTok poses one of the greatest long-term threats to the health, safety, and privacy of millions of Americans. He asked that Ms. Khan a number of questions and requested a prompt response by October 30. The lawmaker wants to know what measures the FTC is taking to safeguard children's data and keep them safe from potentially harmful video trends. And he also wants to know what steps are being taken to stop the development of algorithms that directly promote CCP propaganda. And that's germane, but it wouldn't fit 
and the Kids Online Safety Act or the child or the teen, <clears throat> teen bills that were coming up at this time. So here in the sidebar, House approved bills to limit purchase of Chinese-made drones. That's still happening. We're buying their drones. That doesn't make any sense, but one of the first people to report on this was The Intercept, who's absolutely in the doghouse with Glenn Greenwald. There's also other subversive ways that, um, that the financial industries, with bricks and other things, there's many vectors of threat. So <clears throat> here's a, a much less reported uh, piece. SBF in China, story TK from Prada, on Substack says, U.S. says Sam Bankman-Fried's fresh indictment include a new count of conspiracy to violate anti-bribery provisions of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, not the RICO Act. Uh, federal charges were probably dropped in one of the cases, but there are other charges that they're kind of parrying with, and this is it. Federal prosecutors in Manhattan accused Bankman-Fried of directing the transfer of at least $40 million of cryptocurrency to benefit Chinese government officials. Oh! Breaking Fed's alleged SBF paid $40 million in bribes to Chinese officials to release $1 billion in cryptocurrency detained by China. New grand jury indictment adds Foreign Corrupt Practices Act charge. Now, notice this is not espionage charges. I'm curious about that because Trump's under espionage charges and everyone who's been prosecuted under espionage charges has done, been done so under political auspices. But here's a real crime, which seems like an act of, of treachery, absolute traitory. Um, and uh, it's being couched as, oh, well, this is, just, this is just a financial crime. It's just bribery. So... There's that, and so I'm still looking for my, so this is the, the piece that kind of kind of really cinches things. BGI Genomics was collecting a lot of data, and so I want to bring this up. This is from the Byline Times. This is the non-disclosure agreements hiding university partnerships with state-backed Chinese firms. Max Colbert explores how UK universities are bound to secrecy over their links to controversial Chinese companies. A new investigation has uncovered the existence of agreements gagging elite UK universities and NGOs, preventing them <clears throat> from making public any information about their partnerships with Chinese state-backed technology companies. The byline intelligence team and the citizens can reveal that nearly half, 42% of Russell Group institutions, have relied on non-disclosure agreements, or NDAs, or Section 43 commercial interest exemptions to the Freedom of Information Act to avoid revealing details of these partnerships. Of the 24 institutions in the Russell Group, three did not respond to a request for information about any such partnerships within the time limit, 10 said that NDAs or Section 43 exemptions were in place, and three were refused to disclose for reasons relating to cost or because the information was not routinely collected centrally. Of the information that was made available about the research agreements with Chinese tech firms, typically on minimal details were released. 
This investigation uncovered that at least 24 NDAs between the universities and the Chinese company Huawei has existed since 2018. The name suggests non-disclosure agreements are legal text designed to prevent the release of certain information out to outside parties. Queen's University Belfast revealed that Huawei have included a specific clause to protect the release of such information under contract. So this is business continuity response and risk management for the Chinese. So let's look at this, uh, this BRIC summit. Who made it and who didn't? That's what we can find out right now. It's invited 69 leaders from Africa and global South bodies. Key Western nations such as the US, UK, and France are not invited. <clears throat> Over 40 countries are interested in joining the BRICS group. 22 have submitted applications. As the BRICS summit rears its head, an unusual narrative takes shape in, in the invitations list. Johannesburg is about to host a summit where attendees will not only form a large chunk of economic might of the global south, but will also signify a shift in the geopolitical balance. This year's summit, scheduled for late August, has a guest list that reads more like a roll call of African nations and major global south bodies. Meanwhile, key western nations are glaringly absent. So the guest list, who's in? Bricks. The economic powerhouse bloc composed of Brazil, Russia, India, China, and host South Africa has elected to extend a warm welcome to 69 global leaders, including rumored the Saudis. An unprecedented move, according to Anil Sukhalal, a South African diplomat at the helm of BRICS affairs, South African agenda is clear to foster development across the continent and push the envelope on continental free trade agreement. Thus, every, can af every African head of state finds their name on the in invitation list, and a surprising twist comes with an apparent snub to Western nations. Heavyweights such as the U.S., U.K., and France find themselves missing from the list, a stark indication of a strategic shift, especially when France's overture for an invitation made by President Emmanuel Macron met a cold response from Russia. So they're kind of being cagey. But the rumor on the block is that the Saudis are going to be there and that they're entertaining. <clears throat> they're entertaining it. So uh, we, we have to pivot to WorldCoin uh, because WorldCoin is being linked to Adhar, which is the biometric uh, identity credential national identity credential, which is linked to, to all kinds of financial systems in order to bank in India. So DeFi education, if you can unlock it, has an important, <clears throat> interesting parallel or, or editorial on that. WorldCoin, which is a, you know, Sam Altman's biometric crypto technology, uh, linked to your eyeballs, possibly your fingerprints, is Adhar 2.0. Uh, an inference I had made last week. So, <clears throat> so Communist China also trying to fund America's public schools. Most of this stuff I have put in my feed. I've just parked it there on Substack Notes as curation. So I invite you to go to substack.com forward slash at Sheila, S-H-E-I-L-A-M-D-E-N. 
Um, and you will find a whole thread of recurrent sources and news availability for you. Um, so I am hunting for something very specific, and that is the BGI, which for some reason between this week and last week kind of got scrubbed. I can't find a lot on it. There's a light on, here's a light here. China's Cyberspace Administration releases interim rules regulating the use of generative AI. So they've got a plan. Um, it's gonna be, the draft rules were released in April of 2023. So this is uh, a note from Davis Wright Tremaine. So in comparing the two versions, the new rules toned down a number of obligations for generative AI service providers. One such provider would be WorldCoin in the BRICS. So this is all in the containment field of what we're talking about here. Uh, for example, the new rules attach equal importance to development and security and encourage the innovation and development of generative AI. The rules dropped and proposed prohibitions on user profiling use a real name verification and a requirement to take measures within three months through model op optimization training to prevent illegal content from being generated again. Note that generative AI service providers may still be subject to the requirements of verifying a user's real identity under the cybersecurity law of the People's Republic of China. Ain't no privacy in China because China owns everybody in China. What's interesting that I discovered this week, I just wanted to put it on a sidebar, as we go back in time, back, back, back into time, back into like 20, 2015, 2016, when the Equifax hack, hack happened. Okay, fast forward to today, there are people who are using Equifax as a third party identity processor for i9s so that they can put migration or verification of citizenship with DHS for, for documents. So Equifax, <clears throat> the, the partner in crime, the, the, the least secure vesicle, I guess, cut a deal and put themselves in that terrible space where now they have to be a facilitator or a third party proving agency for the US government to, to not get killed financially or get put out of uh, commission. Uh, what the, how that doesn't comfort me is that when a, an employer opts to use Equifax as a third party prof, like processor for your identity documents, I feel like China can get you. Why do I feel that way? Because there is a copycat in Vancouver who took all the information from Equifax that, that was stolen and then they made a new credit agency which brings you Credit Karma today. Every time you use that Credit Karma product, you are proffering a Chinese knockoff of Equifax in Vancouver, BC, Canada. I just wanted to remind you about that. Okay, I'll move on. And I am so sorry that this this episode's turned out to be like, China's a bad guy! But they are. They're, such, they're so 
so the villain in this one. Precisely because U.S. virologists have collaborated with a Chinese research group identified as a national security risk. Senators demand Department of Agriculture turnover records documenting ties to Chinese BGI group, EcoHealth Alliance, and the Earth Biogenome Project. This is a big deal. And it is so awful that you need to pay attention. <clears throat> in a filing placed in the Federal Register last March, Department of Commerce added two subsidiaries of the Chinese biotech company behind the Earth Biogenome Project to its list of entities that post risks to national security or foreign policy placing trade restrictions on China's BGI group and its many aliases. Putting a company on commerce entity list is short of a full ban, but serves as a federal recommendation that U.S. organizations proceed with caution when dealing with such businesses. Founded in 1999, BGI Group is the world's largest genetic research company. However, BGI has long been dogged by allegations of spying on Western companies and serving as a corporate front for the People's Liberation Army. Among our concerns, quote, is the People's Republic of China government collaboration with several of those firms for state surveillance, societal control, and military research in China, a U.S. intelligence official told the Financial Times regarding BGI Group in April. And the source of this is the actually the Disinformation Chronicle from one Paul B. Thacker. A Reuters investigation in 2021 found that the company collaborated with the People's Liberation Army on a prenatal test sent worldwide to gather and analyze the genetic data of pregnant women. And it is creepy. BGI is still soliciting genetic data of women in Uruguay, and they're so hesitant to give them any. You go, Uruguayan women. You have good intuition. Don't give them anything. Give them nothing. A Wall Street Journal investigation found that BGI Group used a COVID pandemic to gain entry into U.S. markets selling products and equipment at low or no cost, a ploy to gather genetic material. BGI has undoubtedly taken advantage of the COVID-19 pandemic to expand its research and reach around the world, including the United States. Bill Vania, director of U.S. government's National Counterintelligence and Security Center, told the journal. In one example, BGI offered free COVID-19 testing to a U.S. embassy in the Middle East, but they were refused. No. One of BGI's most ambitious projects is the Earth Biogenome Project, an effort involving in American research institutes to sequence and catalog a majority of the planet's species. They must be working with aliens because they may not know. That's that's a funny joke. So weeks before, if it's later confirmed, it's not my fault. Weeks before the Department of Commerce warned this March of trade restrictions, the Earth Biogenome Project disappeared their web page. Oh, I knew it. Disappeared their web page, listing their institutional members, including BGI Group, Baylor College of Medicine, Duke University. Dalhousie University and the British Columbia Cancer Research Center. Ooh, look at this. Earlham Institute, EMBL, the George Washington University of Washington, D.C., the Virome Project, Australian Museum. 
there are more. An archived version of the Earth's Biogenome Project website lists academic representatives as Eric Jarvis of Rockefeller Institute, Warren Johnson and Jonathan of Connington Smithsonian Institution, Pamela Soltis of the University of Florida, Ann Yoder of Duke University, Scott Edwards of Harvard, Harris Lewin of UC Davis, and Joanna Mazet of the Global Virome Project and UC Davis. As previously reported U.S. Agency for the International Development of USAID, official Dennis Carroll started the Global Virome Project in sometime around 2019 with funds he illegally diverted from USAID, a project called PREDICT in all caps. Anything in all caps is a clandestine agency project. <laughs> But this is P-R-E-D-I-C-T. It's probably an acronym for something. After retiring, Carol then joined Global Virome Project's board along with Joanna Mazet of UC Davis, Peter Daszak of the nonprofit EcoHealth Alliance, and Jennifer Grady of the Gates Foundation. CBS News reported last March that USAID's Inspector General opened a criminal investigation into EcoHealth Alliance's billing practices and the misappropriation of federal funds to start the Global Virome Project. You should all be aware. You should all be aware. Tell it high and low. This is what's going on. So, <clears throat> so there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack here. Uh, all this scraping of genomic data and, and biosecurity. So the Byline Times had a subsequent uh, BGI headline. I want to get back to it. Controversial Chinese company BGI Genomics found to have worked with at least 16 UK universities. Here is the headline. The genome sequencing company also administers China's National Gene Bank, which is part of the state surveillance of minorities that facilitates the mass detention of Uyghurs. This is John Lubbock and Daisy Sternhardt of the Byline Times. At least 16 academic institutions in the UK have done joint work with Chinese genomic company BGI Genomics or its subsidiaries. An investigation by Byline Times can reveal Chinese genome sequencing company was founded in 1999 and has since grown into a global business collaborating on research projects around the world with academic and medical institutions. It also administers China's National Gene Bank, which is part of the state surveillance of minorities that facilitates the mass detention of Uyghurs. The Evening Standard has previously reported that BGI Group, which runs a state-owned National Gene Bank, is believed to have significant and long-standing ties to the Chinese Communist Party and the country's military. The report also notes that two BGI group subsidiaries have been blacklisted by the U.S. Department of Commerce for their involvement in unethical surveillance of ethnic minorities in China and ethnic minorities worldwide. I would add to that. BGI made headlines in 2021 when a report from Reuters revealed that their neonatal genetic testing kits was harvesting genetic data of millions of women around the world. Stay out of it, Uruguay. Stay out of it. Don't go anywhere near those BGI kids. Mm -mm. Additionally, in March 2023, conservative MP George Freeman said that the company had repeatedly attempted to hack into Genomics England to gain access to the NHS genetic database of UK citizens. How dare they? 
Despite the Reuters report in 2021, VGI Genomics was awarded, oh my God, 10.8 million pounds contract to undertake genomic testing of COVID samples in August of 2021. VGI was also listed as an unapproved or an approved, sorry, approved supplier on three framework agreements with Public Health England. They have made bad judgments before. You remember that time when they contracted Google to do their health services and Google agreed not to, uh, not to share the data with itself and, and kind of keep it contained in, in a, a health services silo and then they didn't do that and they took the data anyway and used it as open source stuff and there was a giant breach. Yeah, they, they've made some bad decisions in the past. This weekend, a group of human rights activists, doctors, scientists, and lawyers has written to the Secretary of State for Education, Jillian Keegan, asking the government to establish an inquiry into the extent of academic partnerships with BGI in the UK. Byline Times. Everybody know it. Woo-hoo! Byline Times! <clears throat> so, that kind of buttons up my, my point, 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 and counterpoint. So, um... Just a variety of sources there for you. Uh, please subscribe to my Substack. That would be Liberty in many directions. We're still trying to get uh, get those surveys filled out by the presidential candidates that are there. Uh, they may thin out over time, but the purpose of the survey is to get their positions on counter terror which at this point is a bad household name because they've abused those powers so terribly. But nobody still wants to come out to bat against ter- counter-terror law, which is just a, just a veneer. Just a veneer for violating um, U.S. civil and privacy rights and, and our constitutional rights, unfortunately. Uh, if they could have put guardrails and useful limitations on the government to regard our rights... But that wasn't the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to be deeply invasive and, you know, it has become a totalitarian um, tool. And in many cases, it has been, uh, the Patriot Act in particular in 2018 was ruled unconstitutional for its, its uses against the American people. So, um, with that, I just wanted to wrap this up <clears throat> that you know there is a diverse amount of threats that are out there um, using AI and AI is involved in social media it's involved in our banking sector it's involved in cryptocurrency um, I wanted to put a couple of Colin um, notes there's just there's just too much content uh, but I wanted to put the most threat worthy stuff up on this Tuesday, I, I ended up taking the weekend out because I had, I was just completely flooded. I, I have to admit that I was completely flooded. I didn't know which direction to take because it seemed like it was kind of coming in from all, all directions. So my blog is called Liberty in Many Directions. So when the threats come in from all directions, I have to kind of recalculate and kind of prioritize, kind of get above it somehow you know, mentally in order to make a holistic view of, of what's really going on. Um, the government still has a long way to go. 
I do still believe that there is kind of a cold legal civil war, if, if nothing else, uh, against the American public. There is, there's a cadre of people in Washington, D.C. who don't like constitutional um, republic government that, that is the basis of, of legal government that we have right now. They just, they just don't like it. They don't want to use it. They don't want to operate within it. And they don't like to be held accountable by it. So they're choosing to ignore it. And as such, that has become a form of corruption. And so because they are kind of grouping together now to enable one another in this, this force of corruption, um, they're vouching for each other. They're walking out of committee hearings on valid concerns that are brought by members of their own committee and the public. Uh, they, they just get up and walk out. Um, you know, this is all coming to a head. So just put your prayers up for a decluttering or a clearing of this larceny on the public payroll. Because they're, they're literally stealing from the American people if we cannot get the type of government that we pay into and are held accountable to. We're supposed to obey the laws and go, that's our good faith effort towards our government. That's our duty towards our government. Uh, they equally have a duty to conform to the laws and to performance of their of their offices in a non-abusive way, in a servant way towards the American people. They have lost that completely. It has become a, a wholly self, um, self-profiting pursuit to go into government for some of these corrupt folks. Um, Hunter Biden, I mean, it's just all over the place. Uh, that he is is as briberous as Sam Bankman-Fried. It's like the same type of disease. And they need to, to keep perspective. I'm very grateful for the weaponization committee because they're, they're doing great work. And um, the people called to hold oversight accounting of our, of our government agencies are, are doing a big work. And so um, I just want to put a note of thanks out there for the public servants who are staying on track, they're, they're serving their people, they're, they're, they're listening to their constituents' concerns and, and trying to make valid policy changes and, and doing service for their districts, um, doing the, the regular routine, um, unsung work of, of uh, representation. Because when you're surrounded by a lot of corruption, it's hard to not be influenced by it. So keep your head up. Keep thinking the right things instead of the wrong things. Um, and obey the law. You know, try, try, to, try to go along with our laws as, as best as you possibly can. It's totally avoidable in m most cases, but they're going to try to, to coerce you. If they're using coercion, you know, it's probably not a good path to go down anyway. So... Don't betray yourself. Don't betray your country. This has been Sheila Dean. I'm the unsanctioned citizen signing off here. I appreciate you. And um, we'll have something for you in the coming days. Uh, I wanted to put a note that um, <clears throat> we may be producing more. We may produce a little less. Um, but I think Saturdays have become 
problematic, so I might produce more during the week. If I can get to Saturday and it's not problematic, um, I will I will produce a Saturday show. But right now, things are, I'm just going to answer um, the content flow where it's thick and um, and where the crisis is mounting. So it's kind of like firefighting. You just kind of go where it is. And so I may produce more. I may not produce as much, but I will definitely produce at least one podcast or more a week. I produced two last week, uh, but they weren't on Substack. So I will I will put those uh, in the sources for the program for you today. So please come back. Please subscribe. Please refer others and stay informed. Um, everyone has power, especially you. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are welcome. Subscribers can access unsanctioned citizen podcast archives at Substack, Automatic, iHeartRadio podcasts, and call in. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit SheilaMDean.com.